Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 47. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today we're going to be talking about why do investors sometimes make really bad decisions, impulsive decisions? Why do they panic? And when you think about why investors panic, maybe why they make decisions that are poor, especially around times when the markets aren't performing very well, like 2008, 2009, it, we're going to take a look at a couple things. But it, it's interesting to think about. Um, I went back and looked at some numbers that I'll share with you in a little bit about the flow of funds uh, that I think you'll find interesting as far as how much money or percent of mutual funds were in money market type, which is essentially you know cash that's earning a return, how much money was in bonds or flowed to bonds in, let's say, a year like 2009 after the market was at all-time lows. And regular listeners know that you know, I'm a big advocate of uh, for the majority of, of assets to either be buffered or hedged. And I'll link to a couple of different podcasts I did on buffered equity strategies. Uh, of course, buffered strategies are where you uh, you want to get a market type return, but you want to have a buffer against the downside. And so maybe that's you don't want to feel the first 25% down uh, on the downside. And that is appealing to a lot of people. Uh, when we talk about hedged equity strategies, hedged equity strategies, generally, you're long the market, you give up some of the upside, but then you you want to have a floor in the portfolio. And maybe that's, you know, somewhere 8, 9, 10% down. And so, you know, a lot of the things I'll, I'll talk about today deal with just how fear and panic and how that leads to bad decision makings, uh, decision making. And and one of the things that having a buffered or especially a hedged equity strategy does, it takes some of the fear out of investing. And a lot of times people invest and they say, well, um, I'm a little bit worried about trying to time the market. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about, you know, that uh, I can suffer substantial loss. And we saw this back in 2008, 2009. And by the way, I'll get to kind of the main part of the, the podcast in a little bit. But it was interesting. Recently, somebody uh, came over and uh, and talked to me and said, "Hey, you know, the market's at all time highs, and it's at all time highs." And I'm a little bit worried. What's interesting though is, and we did a podcast. I'll link to this one, of course, uh, several weeks ago, where Jay Persicelli came on, and Jay and I talked about how you know 36 percent of the time, based upon some research he did the market is within 3% of an all-time high. And, you know, when you think about that, if investors are saying, hey, the market's at all-time highs, maybe I should sell, that happens 36% of the time that it's within 3% of an all-time high or close to a high. And so if you kind of follow that logic, it means that, you know, quite a bit people are saying, hey, the market's too high. Um, Generally, the crowd, though, is wrong. Um, And again, the benefit of having buffers or hedges is that, Look, if your timing's not right or if the market does substantially sell off, you've got downside protection. If the market continues to run or moves higher, you're still invested. And we know that getting out of the market, you can potentially miss out on quite a bit of returns. And in general, individual investors, uh, you know, the do-it-yourself individual investors have not had as good of returns because they're timing typically. And it's not anything bad. Not really saying anything bad about individuals. It's just sometimes discipline and, and emotions and fear can get into the investing 
landscape and cause some poor decision making. But it is fascinating. You know, we haven't had a recession since uh, you know the end of the one in two thousand nine, and recently Jamie Dimon from Chase, somebody was asking him about a recession, and I'm paraphrasing. Uh, I don't have the exact quote, so I'm not quoting him word for word. But it, he said something to the effect of, "Yeah, I mean, at some point, conditions will come together that will cause a recession. When that is, who knows? Um, it seems like you know at some point we will now." Will the recession be as bad as it was in 2008, 2009, or will it be a, you know, maybe a garden variety one, real short, real shallow, like we had it? It was 91, we had one. Nobody talks about the Great Recession of 1991, but they do talk about the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. So at some point, yeah, that will happen. And that's why it's important to have downside protection or, or buffers in the portfolio. Um, by the way, uh, you know, Australia actually hasn't had a recession since the mid-90s. I think they're one. Of, I don't want to jinx Australia to anyone from Australia who's listening. Not trying to jinx you, but um, they actually have not had an official recession since then. So we don't know when the next one is going to come. But right now, I would say that there are some people who say, "Well, you know, the market's at all-time highs. Is it? You know, aren't, aren't we due for recession?" Uh, but it is, it is interesting, and, and you see this in two ways. Um, you would think that, hey, the market's at all-time highs. And people say, you know, maybe their inclination is to not invest or, or to to get out. And by the way, normally people's timing isn't isn't great. Uh, but also, when the market's doing well, people tend to when they they do a self evaluation on their risk, they tend to be okay with taking more risk because it's the recency bias. They, you know, the market's been doing good for a couple of years, and so although to be honest with you, I mean, the market's kind of been flat. Uh, since uh, mid to late 2018. But the market, you know, generally has had a number of up years. So what's fascinating, though, is you kind of think about at the very lows of 2009 when capitulation happened and, uh, you know, March of 2009, the the S&P 500 was below $700, $700 700 points. It was 666 point something and something, right? And today, you know, it closed or yesterday it closed right around 3,020 or and somewhere right around there. So the markets come way back from off the bottoms. But what's interesting, though, is back then, when we think about how investors sometimes make rash decisions or panic or are more fearful and that fear paralyzes them with getting out of the market. You know, back then, you would have thought – just for the same reason that people say, well, the market's getting around an all-time high. We haven't had a recession in a while. Again, I would say if you have buffers or hedges, that takes some of that fear and concern away. Uh, But it's interesting. Back then, I don't remember people saying, hey, you know, the market's at, uh, it's 55% lower than it was. Maybe I ought to get in. Um, The opposite happened back then. And just from experience, I talked to so many people that were literally in cash and many of them didn't sell out when the market first started coming coming down. A lot of them sold out near the lows that I talked to and then were fearful and stayed in cash for quite some time and missed that sort of whole recovery. And so it's it's kind of interesting that you would think people would, would, would be flooding into stocks at those lows when the market was at such a discount from its recent point. Uh, but the first inclination was not to get in. And I'll share a couple numbers with you. There was a, a study by uh, a Dalbar study. Uh, hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. And they they did a, a they do a quantitative analysis of investor behavior, 
And in that study, I think it was the 2016 one, I kind of looked it up and I'll, I'll post a link to that if I, uh, uh, in the show notes. But they showed this stat and it was quite fascinating. And it was a graph of the money market assets as a percentage of all mutual fund assets. So money markets are essentially, you know, very short duration. Typically they pay a little bit of interest, but it's, it's not cash, uh, but it, it's a lot of people refer to them as cash-like uh, just because of the, the makeup. And certainly you shouldn't expect to, to earn very much in a money market fund. And so if you're parking your money in a money market fund for many, many years, you're simply going to trail not only inflation, but you're going to trail uh, historical market returns. But at the, the very worst of the market, which was March of 2009, that was the absolute peak in the percentage of assets that were in money market funds. In fact, if you look, it was something around 43% of mutual fund assets, according to this study, was in money market funds. And that was the low. And so you think about that, what, what did that really mean? Well, that was the panic phase. And you had a lot of people getting out as the market was you know, near its lows. They're selling at the the absolute worst time in hindsight, right? But they went to money market funds. And the other interesting thing, uh, if and again, I'll, I'll link to the, uh, the piece I saw online, uh, but the, if you look and you say, okay, well, when did the percentage of money market funds, and to give you an idea, kind of coming into 2007 or so, it was only about 22%, um, so it more than, more than doubled. Uh, but it did not get down to that level until sometime close to 2012. And so what that tells me is a lot of people stayed in cash and they missed out on some of those first big legs in the recovery. And we know that missing out uh, on some of the best days, months, or years of a market can seriously impact investment returns over the long run. So I found that really interesting. And the other thing that I found interesting is uh, Morningstar had a and this is, I don't know how many years ago this was, I think it was 2009, 2010 or so. And they had a little piece, and the question was, uh, will new bond fund aficionados stick around? And I'll just read a little bit from, from the graph. And what they said was investors flooded bond funds with cash in 2009. 2009. And they said U.S. open-ended bond funds took in over $357 billion and that was far more than any other asset class. And, and, and they also went on to say, for perspective, fixed income funds took in more flows in 2009 than they saw over the previous five calendar years combined. And so you look at this and you say, okay, well, 2008 bond funds, uh, they took in less than $50 billion. 2009, over $350 billion. 2007 was probably $125 billion. 2006 was around, I don't know, I'm just eyeballing this around 70, 75 billion. 2005 was less than 50 billion. 2004 was, um, I mean, not much at all. So you look at this and you say, what does that tell you? Well, when equities were their cheapest, when equities were their cheapest, and then you think about this too, even if you used a classic, you know, 60, 40 portfolio and you went into, uh, you know, in 2009, you would think, well, bonds did better than stocks, so you should be selling bonds to buy stocks. Uh, that's not what happened. People not only went to money market funds, but they went to bond funds. Uh, 
and they stayed out of equities. And so it's just kind of this, this weird dichotomy where when we're at market highs, people are saying, well, maybe, maybe we should sell. But when we were at the very lows, people's actions told a different story. You would think that people would be saying, hey, I want to get into to stocks because they're so cheap and they've sold off so much. Why don't I sell some bonds, which did, did better? But the opposite, um, based upon some research, happened. People went to money market funds. They went to bond funds in record numbers. When really, uh, and by going to bond funds, they may have missed out on quite a bit of equity appreciation. So there's a couple things here. And we think about an investor behavior. And you know, one of the things that, um, that I try and do is help people not make poor decisions. And maybe avoiding a few poor decisions like, you know, capitulating and, and uh, going to cash and staying in cash for a long time is one of those things. And, and by the way, investors tend to, to sell at, at the wrong times, especially those that try and time the market. But it's quite fascinating, this whole, um, just, just the behavioral science that a lot of people are looking at now for how investors act. And this gets back to, you know, one of the things that they feared back then was as, you know, I remember some people said, look, I, I stopped looking at my statements. I stopped opening the mail. Uh, I stopped even looking at it. I capitulated. I got out. I couldn't take it anymore. Um, but that's really shows why sometimes what I'll call traditional asset allocation or just buying and holding doesn't really work. And one of the reasons why it doesn't work, it has no material downside protection. You hope that diversification will uh, will lessen losses. But as we've seen, you know, in 2008, 2009, everything went down. Uh, and I've talked about that, why diversification fails in my book. I have a whole chapter on that. When you saw financials go down 80%, you know, consumer uh, cyclicals, I think, were down you know, 40 or 50% from memory. You know, technology was down quite a bit. And then you look at the international markets, all of those were down quite a bit. So in 2008, 2009, you know, even if you were in different sectors or markets or regions, I mean, everything kind of went down. And what that showed was diversification only works up to a point. The only thing that uh, can put a, you know, can hedge the downside is something that will materially increase when the portfolio is, uh, you know, decreasing in value. And it's not a hope. It's, you know, if you're using pieces or using, um, as I do, uh, options that, that, uh, that can actually hedge and have a defined floor, you know, that's when you've actually got that protection in there. And that protection, though, by the way, does a couple things. And you think about what happened, what made somebody sell near the bottom in March of 2009, stay in cash for a few years, or get out of equities and go to bonds when equities had really done the, the poorest they've done since you know 1929 probably, right? So, and part of that is, um, sure, it's panic, it's fear, um, it's recency bias, and by the way, you know, if, if investors were filling out maybe a questionnaire about their risk, you know, back in 2008, 2009, they would self-select to be much less risky than they would be during a, a good bull market when they, you know, kind of forget its recency bias and they kind of forget about the, 
the risk to the downside. So what I like to to use with the buffers and the and and hedged equity, I think it does a couple of really important things. Number one is if you can take the emotion out of the investing, that's really powerful. Because if you've got a defined floor in a portfolio and the market sells off materially and your losses can be limited because you've got that defined protection outlined, um, you might even not worry too much. You, know, you Certainly, you don't really have a reason to sell because at some point you've got that defined floor. But it takes the emotion out of it and staying invested. And that's really, really important. Um, and so that's one of the, the major benefits that I see of, of using hedged and buffered equity strategies is to avoid making those rash decisions, making those panic decisions, making those, those decisions when, when fear is at its greatest. And you know the other thing that uh, the benefit to some of these strategies is if you've got hedging profits or if you have avoided losses, well, your portfolio, if it didn't go down as much as, let's say, an unhedged portfolio, you then can take those hedging profits or avoided losses and then look to, to rebalance and buy more shares at depressed levels. And that's really counterintuitive. Uh, I shouldn't say counterintuitive. That's really counter to what some of the research I just shared with you showed. The research, research that I, I brought, uh, brought up earlier said that you know, instead of rebalancing and, and having the opportunity to buy more, um, people sold equities and they, they went into cash or, or bond funds. And so part of that was, you know, as markets uh, decelerated or accelerated to the downside, um, they, they kind of made a panic move. And so part of the, you know, obviously with, with doing investments and managing money and, and, and strategies, Part of it is to try and strive for return, to manage risk, uh, to look at you know creating opportunities. But part of the other thing that I think is really important is to try and have people remove emotion. Um, you know, as Jay Pastorcelli would say, "Tell me a time when you uh, made a really good de- de- good decision uh, when you know emotions were greatest." And probably you know you didn't make that great of a decision. So. I will link to a couple different things. I'll, I'll link to that study, and uh, I think you might find that interesting. Um, the other thing I will tell you too is that I continue to hear more and more people talk about an impending recession, and I like what Jamie Dimon said. Jamie Dimon said at some point we'll have one. Who knows when that is? We also don't know how bad it will be if it if and when it does come, but. Just intuitively, it's really fascinating. If a recession were to come next year, this would be the most forecasted recession that I remember. And I was telling somebody the other day that uh, I was watching the local news and they actually ran a, a story. They said the impending 2020 recession. And this is a local news that you know covers the farmer's market and covers different things. And I just, it's really fascinating. Um, and this is the whole point of having a portfolio with buffers or hedges is, look, if it happens, it happens. You've got some downside protection. If it doesn't happen, great. You're going to capture you know, either uh, all the upside, maybe a little bit more depending upon the strategy, or you know, the majority of the upside. And in the case of a, a hedged equity, you give up some of the upside to have the floor in the portfolio. But what we do know is you can't really time the markets. And what we do know is if past 
actions like in the 2008, 2009 or any indication, um, unfortunately, a lot of investors are going to make some rash decisions around fear. Uh, and, you know, looking back, the thing to do would be not to, even if you had a classic portfolio, would be to get out of bonds and go into equities and rebalance. But uh, that's not what the data says. So uh, I'll link to a couple things. Um, as always, please share this with somebody who might find it valuable. Uh, I would encourage everyone to, to think about how they are set up for a potential downturn. Do you actually have uh, real protection, uh, material protection in the portfolio, or is it just a, a hope that things will work out? The other thing that, that uh, I appreciate, the uh, emails, go to RazorWealth.com. You can go to the contact page and send me ideas for future podcasts and certainly love to hear from the listeners. All right, folks, we'll talk to you again next week. Have a good week.